Hello, and welcome to the OnTech Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTech Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Bergen, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with Dr. Maria Robson-Morrow. Dr. Robson-Morrow is the Intelligence Project Program Coordinator at the Harvard Belfer Center. She spent four years as a global security intelligence analyst at Nexon Energy in Canada and worked as an independent security intelligence consultant before returning to academia to study public-private intelligence cooperation. She earned a PhD in political science in 2021 from North Eastern University and holds a master's in military and strategic studies from the University of Calgary and a BA in international relations, economics, and history from the University of Toronto. Maria's research has been published in Intelligence and National Security, Harvard Business Review, and the Journal of Intelligence History. She teaches a research seminar in the Intelligence Analysis Graduate Program at Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Robson Morrow, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you very much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Maria, how did you get into this industry? Well, Fred, thank you very much for the question. As I'm sure is the case with many of your interviewees and many of the people in this community, perhaps everyone, my path was not linear and I couldn't have told you that I would end up here. The original entry for me into the industry was by happenstance through an internship in the energy sector that became a full-time intelligence analyst position up in my home country of Canada. And it was happenstance. It was thanks to good leadership by the director of the global security program at the company who had noticed that the legal department's got law students and the accounting department's got accounting students and the security department got legal students and accounting students. And he said, well, why can't we have a security student? And I'd been studying military and strategic studies. And so that was the opportunity. That was how I first came in. And then it worked out. It became full-time. And I was very, very fortunate because my boss um, had a, an intelligence mindset and saw the potential of the program as more than just the nuts and bolts of security, more than just security risk mitigation, but more of a forward-looking, everything from tactical to strategic intelligence within the department. And this is something that then provided context for me when I decided to study our community and the private sector intelligence space later on, which I, was that I realized that many of the job titles aren't reflective of the actual role. And so much of it comes down to the vision of leadership, what you do and how you build out your roles and having good mentorship and good examples and models. So that was how I got started, thanks to a very good leader and mentor. That's an amazing story. Now, let's dive in. Tell me a little bit about your research study. So what I noticed, Fred, when I was working as an intelligence analyst in our community, I was up in Canada, but I was fortunate to come down to the OSAC annual briefings to various analyst roundtable meetings and other community events. And I noticed the robust level of cooperation and camaraderie and sharing of best practices and the idea of helping each other become better and thrive in our roles and build out our teams. 
And uh, this was at odds with what I saw as the scholarship on intelligence. If it touched on corporations at all, if it stepped outside of government and looked at the private sector, usually the assumption was that we're all spies or we're all security guards with guns or we're conducting competitive intelligence on each other. And I realized that this misses this sector, this growing area that you've done such a wonderful job on the podcast of really teasing out and exploring. And so there was very little of this discussion going on on the academic side back in 2016, which is when I decided to go back to academia and do a PhD. And I was very fortunate because the community embraced this idea. We know, and I'm sure you've spoken with others on the podcast and elsewhere about this, the challenge of proving value within the company, the idea of not being seen as a cost center, but being seen as adding value and communicating what you do to leadership. And this is exacerbated in academia of conveying that private sector intelligence is not just espionage, it's not just influence operations against other companies, or even not just competitive intelligence, but there's this whole robust landscape of security risk mitigation, security intelligence, strategic intelligence, geopolitical analysis. So that was the challenge I decided to tackle, was to write a PhD on this. You know, you mentioned OSAC, and I was around um, when OSAC was created. And uh, I know that they have done a fabulous job over the years at just getting collaboration and so forth. But what struck me just as I look back over the many, many years I've been in this industry is this turn towards scholarly research, Maria, which um, you are certainly one of the pioneers in this space in my assessment. So in the course of putting together this paper on private sector intelligence on the long path of professionalization, it's really intriguing to me because uh, as I've watched the evolution of this industry, and just from a historical perspective, looking back to the 60s, as you dive into this, what were your main takeaways? I do want to emphasize two points you made. One is that OSAC has been such a convener in this space and has really evolved with the field and supported the expansion of the field. And many of our relationships trace back to OSAC. I believe you and I first met through OSAC. And the other point I want to emphasize is that there has been some scholarship. So thank you for your kind words. I am proud to be one of four I'm aware of. Deline Dubin, Angela Sage Passat, and Angela Lewis are also doing PhD work in this space. And it's been very rewarding to find others who are also helping build it. And it's also rewarding that the community has been interested in seeing this research. So my key findings were uh, twofold. So um, I will talk first about the professionalization angle. That's the theory underpinning the scholarship or the article. And then the second part I would like to talk about is pathways to entry into the field. So the first one is professionalization. Um, what I realized as I was delving into this was I had a lot of empirical data and we don't have very much on our field. So that was very exciting. And I realized it layered really nicely onto the work that's been done on professionalization of intelligence in the traditional government or national security sense, where Stephen Marin and other scholars have looked at the extent to which intelligence counts as a profession. And on the one end of the spectrum, because professionalization is a spectrum, it's not binary or dichotomous, it's not you are a profession or you aren't, this is at this whole spectrum. On the one end are medicine and law, codified professions that have 
university degrees and certifications and licensing, recognizable qualifications. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you have a craft or guild framework where knowledge is passed from master to apprentice. And um, there isn't this aggregate body of knowledge. It's really just word of mouth. It's hand to hand. It's dependent on the skill of the practitioner and on that mentor to mentee relationship. And so on the government level, what Mary and others find is that there are a lot of parallels with, um, with intelligence when we look at the guild framework or the craft framework, and it is moving along that spectrum. Um, and what I found was that private sector intelligence is also moving along the spectrum, but is also closer to the craft or guild framework model at present. And I'm sure a lot of people listening have had wonderful mentors, have experienced that word of mouth, those pathways to entry. Um, many of us have benefited from it, and it's wonderful. And that exists in codified professions as well. But what I found in the segues to the second point is for pathways to entry, it makes a big difference if the field is closer to that craft or guild side of the spectrum than that profession side of the spectrum. Uh, because what I found was that word of mouth or the personal network accounted for the, it was the most common reason people had entered the field. I surveyed practitioners in our field in 2019 and 2020. I had 126 respondents the first time and 93 the second time. And what I found predominantly was it was the personal network by which people were achieving entry. But the, the data changed when I controlled for whether or not the respondent had a government background. So as we know, historically, it's been very common to come into this field from military or law enforcement or the intelligence community. And this is changing. Um, and that was supported by my data. But what I found was that if I asked how people entered this space, the answer changed based off whether or not they had that background. So for those who had the public service background, it was reasonably common to get in through a traditional job posting because they had recognizable qualifications, really did have that network as well. But uh, when I looked at just job postings, it was actually quite robust. Whereas without that uh, background, the personal network leapt up to a much higher proportion, much bigger piece of the pie. And individuals without that public service background were very unlikely to have gotten into their position just through a job posting. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontech's Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontech Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. In looking at this, based on your research, what truly surprised you, if anything? Well, absolutely. There were some surprises. And thank you for the question, because this gets me an opportunity to talk about job titles. This is an area that I did not expect to be surprising. And this is a finding that's really resonated when I've spoken with others in the community. 
when I disseminated my survey in 2019, I was thinking about it the night before it went out. And at 1130 at night, I realized, hang on, I need a control here to make sure respondents in the survey are actually part of the population, part of our community, part of our field. So that was why I added a question and said, what is your job title? That wasn't in the original survey design. I had all sorts of fancy questions about intelligence cooperation and best sources of information. But what is your job title ended up being the most interesting finding from the entire survey, because when I surveyed 126 people, I had 99 different answers come back. Wow. And this was astonishing, the level of variation. So I ended up standardizing that down, so cleaning my data set, um, standardize it down to 72. And that was with taking things like manager, comma, security, and security manager and consolidating them into one. And I've since found out that actually isn't even necessarily the same position because in some companies that means you do or don't have direct reports. But um, even when I standardized it down, it was 72. And so this is an interesting statistic. And this, out of everything I, I presented when I was able to share some of these findings at the Association of International Risk Intelligence Professionals a few years ago, I thought the findings about cooperation were interesting. But all anyone talked about at the happy hour when they were referencing my presentation was the job titles. And so um, I'm hopeful that this has actually contributed to a discussion about consolidating because this plays back into the professionalization and the pathways to entry discussion. If promising graduates or recent graduates or young professionals without that government background are looking at a career in the space, they might not even be able to find the positions because there's so much conflation of terminology in the job postings. And then once we get into those jobs, the responsibilities can be quite different. So I was a security analyst doing intelligence and down the street, a friend of mine, another energy company was an intelligence analyst who was just looking at copper wire theft. And so we really see this um, shift in or variation terminology. And also the job titles are so often set by the company's internal standards and terms as opposed to the field. So this is where, Brad, I think, you and I differ on using the term industry, where I would like to use the term industry about our field, but I don't until I see a state in which the terminology is actually being standardized across different companies, different industries um, to mean something similar, regardless of where you're working. So that's something I think we should be striving for. And I think we are on that path. Yeah, that's extraordinarily interesting. And as someone like yourself, who has literally been down in the weeds and now, looking at this with that academic rigor, I would be highly remiss, uh, Maria, with your background and your expertise in this space to look over the horizon and kind of forecast what's next. Uh, you know, I've said this before, but I think the future in our industry is going to be driven by people like yourself with these kinds of studies. What do you think? I believe that other professions have more empirical data on compensation, on job titles, on entry into the field, on the scope of the field. And we're still at the nascent stage of having those conversations about how many people work in this space. So I do hope that the work that I and others are doing can contribute to building that understanding. And again, I think that's beneficial for entry. I think it's beneficial for career progression. I had somebody um, at an OSAC meeting years ago, say to me, Maria, I'm so glad you're doing this PhD because I want you to tell me where to go next. And I don't necessarily have those answers, but I do hope that sharing these data and sharing these findings and theorizing a bit about what we're seeing can help 
uh, with the path forward. And Brad, I think that this field is progressing so rapidly. It's so dynamic and it's fascinating to look at it. It's been 10 years now since I first entered this space and it's changed dramatically in that time. And I know that you've seen even more dynamic changes um, over the course of observing this field. So I do think that we're increasingly professionalizing. I think it's growing rapidly. And we've seen the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine really demonstrating the value of intelligence in many companies. There are some teams I've spoken with that were previously just seen as security, and now they're providing strategic geopolitical analysis and strategic intelligence. For sure. I see that every day with our center, too, as I talk to chief security officers, uh, and um, they say the same thing. Now, Maria, uh, obviously, uh, I know that these kinds of studies take a tremendous amount of work. Do you have another research paper or topic in mind that uh, you would like to pursue, or is there one already in the works? Yes, I have so many ideas of where I would like to go in the future, and I'm hoping to survey the community again as I pursue these. But two that come to mind are um, first studying the consulting landscape, the companies that actually do this as their core business. I think there's such a robust ecosystem of security providers, vendors, consultancies uh, in this space, supporting the in-house teams, supporting corporations across various industries. And I would really like to engage in a more systematic study of how that has evolved and also of the relationship between consultancies and corporate intelligence teams, including the embedded model which has been quite common in recent years. So that's one. The other is that I have been, um, I've been examining job postings for years now, and I commented on them a few times as we've been talking, and I would really like to delve more into whether and how the job qualifications and terminology have changed over time. So that's another of the aspirational studies that I would like to do. Maria, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? I think that what I would like to end with is really emphasizing that as we move along the path of professionalization, it's still important to have those relationships and that trust that makes our community what it is. And that's what drew me to it from the very beginning, the level of cooperation and camaraderie and uh, positive sum rather than zero sum approach to how we do business. I think that makes everyone safer. It makes us better professionals, better participants in this ecosystem. And so I just want to end on a note of gratitude to you and Ontic for everything that you do and for everyone who's been building knowledge and sharing their knowledge and experiences in this space. Well, thank you. You're very kind to say that. Um, Dr. Maria Robson-Morrow, her paper is Private Sector Intelligence on the Long Path of Professionalization. And I encourage all of our listeners to take a look at that. Thank you for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you very much, Brad. It's an honor to be here. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow.
and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.